Hello again, podcast listeners. You are listening to the long, 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 long journey home. I am your host, Corbin Johnson, welcoming you to another news edition of the show. Let's get started with that. Today is February 7th, 2014, and Make It So number 5 is ready for voting. Three teams made six cards each, all related to a Reactor Core card for the latest Deep Space Nine OTF play format. The three teams each came up with interesting teams. The first team, if you will, is Romulan Weapons Stockpile. The second one is a Non-Aligned Thieves with Orion Syndicate sort of thing. And the third one is to make KCA actually playable. Uh, Good luck to all three teams. They know uh, my opinion on how to win this with my rubric and all that. So good luck to them. The 2014 non-aligned... Non-aligned, it says NA here. Jesus Christ. 2014 North American Continentals will happen in Minnesota this year. Roseville, Minnesota, July 11th through the 13th at the Fantasy Flight Games Center. Very snazzy. Apparently you can buy food and drink there, including the uh, alcoholic sort. The 2000, on a similar note, the 2014 European Continental Championships will happen July 26th and 27th at the Holiday Inn Regents Park and Center in, in the center of London. Uh, there will be one-day events so that players can play both 1st edition and 2nd edition events. There will also be a triples uh, tournament there as well. The new Australian organized play coordinator has been ushered in. Stephen Hartman goes as chompers on the message boards. Uh, Matthias Corrali says of him he is capable, independent. He is a capable, independent thinker. Steve is also very team oriented. So we wish the best of luck to Steve in his new role. Hindsight Energize has dropped. The another fantastic, no bias, article in the Hindsight series by Charlie Plain. Uh, Several topics he discusses include disruption is hard to balance. Maquis was a very disruption-heavy, is a very disruption-heavy affiliation. Disruption is good for the game, according to Charlie, because many players appreciate it as an alternative way to play the game, but at the same time, it is hard to balance into the game itself. So develop uh, designers and developers have a very hard time trying to balance the two together. Uh, he mentions that making mechanics mesh is something that was kind of difficult here. For example, the Maquis have an average strength of 5 and 1 third, and for the cause requires strength greater than 36. Uh, on the missions that it enables the Maquis to attempt. So that would be, mean that you would need seven people on average to solve a mission with the Maquis. This turns out to be difficult for them. Good parts about Energize were the dilemma manipulation, especially the card Unexpected Difficulties, and affiliation development. Charlie said that the affiliation development was solid, effective, if not overly powerful or... Oh, he said of the expansion. Solid, effective, if not overly... If not overly powerful or splashy. 
expansion. So, uh, very fun read. Go read it if you haven't had a chance to. The OP Guide Update 4.0 is to be published on the 10th of February, 2014. It will simplify the definitions of virtual traditional academy formats. It will expand on the printable card policy. Cards made cards were made printable on February 3rd, even though the official uh, the OP guide hasn't been printed to uh, actually say this uh, for definite sure. Uh, Matthias, however, on the boards has confirmed that all cards are printable. Matthias goes on to say that further OP guide changes will be made if they need to be made, will be made before the start of the 2014 Regional Championships, but that no further updates will be made after that until after Worlds 2014. All right, that's enough of the news today. Let's go to a listener's feedback. My good friend Jason gave uh, me a call and wanted to talk about costs of cards in light of all cards becoming printable. Hey, Corbin, it's Jason Beyer, seven-card spot on the boards, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I'm just uh, basically calling in in response to uh, some comments that you made and some um, uh, just some things that you were wondering about with all cards becoming printable and card values. Um, as you know, I like to play Magic, and one thing that I do is I read a lot about Magic and listen to a lot about Magic, just like I do with every game I'm passionate about, like Trek. Um, when Modern Masters came out, it was basically a set of reprints of staple cards in an eternal format, and one of the cards that was reprinted was a staple that had a very high value called Tarmogoyf. Um, now, what was very interesting about that card is that card, the original, not only held its value, but also upon uh, announcement of the reprint actually increased in value uh, simply because the art and the uh, actual way that the card looked changed. Now, the reason I bring this up is because personally, as you may know, um, I love playing with physical cards. I will always love playing with physical cards. I can't see anything that will change my love of playing with physical cards. I you know, I spend a good deal of money at FedEx to print them on a nice paper, cut them out to make them look as close to physical cards as I can. And I personally, um, even though all cards are going to become printable, will see value in the physical cards and will still try to obtain them, um, purchasing them from anywhere but Alpha cards, uh, primarily uh, from Capital One game or uh, Category One games whenever they are available. Uh, they're pretty nice. Check them out if you haven't. Um, you know, I just wanted to add that um, in because you were asking about uh, data on Star Trek, which I don't quite have, but uh, that was some input that I had read in an article. Uh, I can't remember exactly the article. I think it was something that uh, Brainstorm Brewery had done for anyone out there who uh, likes magic. Anyway, um, have a good ride to work, and uh, we'll face off in some Trek sometime. Thanks for that, Jason. That was actually quite insightful. It's interesting that a card that was reprinted went up in value. I can't even imagine that happening when Trek tried stuff like that, reprinting things as foils and reflections and, um, what, uh, well, the tournament foils were an obvious exception to this rule. Um, maybe not in second edition, but definitely in first edition, because they were all uncommon and those foils went for hundreds of dollars, but that is a very special exception to that rule. Uh, I did like his point about how, uh, oh, 
uh, just how he discussed that uh, he, he thinks printable cards are, are superior to virtual cards. And, yeah, I definitely have to agree in terms of quality, obviously. The convenience of a virtual card is obviously nice, but you really can't beat the physical product at the end of the day. So, and uh, nice shout-out there to Category 1 Games. They do actually have a really awesome selection if you haven't visited them. I, you know, no sponsorship here, but they are definitely a good store, and if you need anything for 1E, I think they have 2E now. They are a good place to go. All right, enough of that. Let's see here. Let's move on to the top five. Well, as it turns out, there was a lot of stuff that came out <laughs> um, even before Deep Space Nine that we should probably talk about and uh, also after. Uh, let's start off first with the Away Team Pack. The Away Team Pack was a promotional product the Cypher put out to, I believe, give away with two of its ambassadors who were nicknamed the Emissary and the Traveler. I think uh, the Traveler is Kyle Hoyer, and I don't know who the Emissary is. But if you know, let me know, and we'll, uh, we'll discuss it on a later show. Uh, the two cards are actually pretty good, uh, relatively speaking, the emissary allows for Bajorans to report to him, and it also includes a special download of Bajoran Wormhole. Now, I'm not sure if this came out before or after Deep Space Nine. If it came out before, that's a pretty cool broken link that was on the card, but otherwise, uh, he was also dual affiliation, and it's a card like that that just screams, please break me in some way, which is fun. And I don't think it's broken, but it is cool to have cards just report to him. Not for free, just report to him. So, pretty neat stuff. Uh, the Traveler is great. You you have him on a ship with your youth, and you pluck the Traveler back to hand, and you can go anywhere on the space line. Uh, it's good because he uh, encourages you to play with youth, which is was not a useful skill much, other than, I guess, for Wind Dancer. And he, uh, he returns to your hand, so even though you've gotten where you're going, you hopefully are not too far away from some place to play him back there again. Um, yeah, so those were two very interesting cards. Um, now, uh, let's talk about a couple more sets, though. Uh, we had the OTSD as well uh, come out. The OTSD was one of the first products as well to use a property logo other than TNG. And it had Voyager cards and Deep Space Nine cards in it, but it primarily had a TNG feel to it. Uh, it's full of very useful cards for all affiliations and definitely made sealed deck play a lot more interesting and maybe even viable <laughs> to some degree. Uh, the cards that it came with, the 20 cards, were quite useful um, for playing the cards it came with, which was four packs of Premiere and one pack of Alternate Universe. So, let's uh, let's just talk about, um, you know, honorable, uh, let's talk about my top five. Honorable mention goes to Reflection Therapy, just as a useful card. It, it's gotten a little bit of steam back now that uh, Suna it plays for free with Intentional Hands. So, useful in any sort of TNG build. So, number five goes to Hippocratic Oath. Hippocratic Oath is a dilemma I see almost all the time, and 
stops a medical for three turns on a planet away. And there was some fun with that card when you could use, and I guess you still can, the Gamma Quadrant mission where Hippocratic Oath people have to relocate to. So when that mission came out, the card became even better. So just a fun little card combination there. Uh, number four, Space Door, obviously. Uh, kind of a staple in many players' decks. Got to get a ship out early. It's universal. Uh, and you don't have any of the TNG or Deep Space Nine ways to do it. Well, you've got Space Door now. Download a ship. And then its other game text is very useful in sealed play, but also useful in kind of a getting away from cheesy things. You can suck up a ship to nullify an opponent's space... Uh, warp, warp, uh, warp bubble, uh, static warp bubble, excuse me. And you can also overhaul a ship, so if you have, you know, a ton of damage on some ship, but you still need to use it, you can suck it back up to your hand and play it again on another turn, which is fantastic. There's some cheesy uses for it, too, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a useful card, very solid card that made the game more interesting, so my hat's off to it. Uh, card number three, uh, three is Open Diplomatic Relations. One thing to think about in a CCG, especially like first edition, is just how useful, uh, or just the idea of having baseline cards, but not just baseline cards, but having tools to make cards that aren't supposed to mix necessarily mix at a cost. And here's the cost. You can seed a treaty now, but you have to spend a seed slot for the treaty, and you have to spend a seed slot for this objective. So, you can get any two affiliations to mix, but you're going to pay two seed slots for it. So, it's an interesting trade-off, and it's one that has been interesting even to this day, because this card still slips in every once in a while to decks. And it has the built-in function of allowing you to get a treaty back later in the game, so it gives this card flexibility to be played later in the game if you are playing a treaty deck to get a treaty back later. Um, if you don't want to play with something a little bit more helpful. Uh, but also, it, it also, basically, if your treaty gets nerfed, well, you get a one-time get-out-of-jail-free card, essentially. So, great card for all of those things. Plus, it's special text of letting you play on a ship and then going and hanging out with your opponent where you two are going to uh, open some diplomatic relations of another sort if you catch my drift. Yeah. Card number two, Hide and Seek, Powerful Dilemma, uh, Randomize, uh, Anti, uh, it, it was uh, good for uh, encouraging players to play with Universal cards before TNG became popular and the Arsenal separated and all that stuff. Um, so this card, you'd shuffle into your away team or crew, and it, you know, it's a duel. It's also a Q. A dilemma event, I think, but it allows you to seed it as a normal dilemma without Blue Air of Q, which is great. And then you just, uh, you know, if this card gets picked, well, you know, the, the dilemma whiffs, but if not, it's a really effective filter. So, Truly Chander wasn't out yet, but, and we'll get to that card in just a minute, but uh, it's, it's still a very effective dilemma to some degree, and if you can't, you know, you're out of, you you can't seed another Trula Chandra, or you can't get another filter going. This is always a staple filter that you still see today. So, Space Time Portal, number one on the list. Uh, the ability to suck up your ship at any time, not during a mission attempt, mind you, 
but at any time after a mission attempt or your opponent's about to come beat, it, beat you up and you don't want your guys going in the discard pile, well, they're going to go to your hand instead. Now, Scorched Hand was out, and Scorched Hand still, now it has a ref icon, this card uh, has become a little less powerful, but, you know, it's still useful if you don't want to have to, and especially now that there aren't really good ways to get this card pile back, I mean, other than uh, Isomagnetic and Regenerate, but you don't have Paler Toff anymore and things like that, and you have, let's say you have a need, you really need to get that card back, that Home Away From Home or that Holodeck Door or whatever, suck your ship up and you can use the ship again and you can play those guys again um, and hopefully your opponent doesn't scorch at you so you know I think uh, since Q's 10th Civil War came out Scorched Hand has become a lot more popular and sucking up your ship is a little less popular um, but still the card has other utilities you can use it as the second end of a wormhole or you can play AU cards once per turn with it and seed them so it's an interesting alternative to uh, the alternate universe door so you trade off the ability to play all the AU cards you want to be able to only play them once per turn, but you get all these extra benefits. So it's a good example of how one you did trade-offs and you could try one card over the other. And also you can download it now with Temporal Micro Wormhole, which is really good. Really, really good. So <laughs> there you go. That's the top five for, um, for the OTSD. But... Uh, I thought, you know, I've neglected the uh, Starter Deck 2, and I thought we'd talk about that too. Um, there's six missions in it, and then there's Memory Wipe, and then there's Ferengi Trading Post. Uh, Memory Wipe was a useful card for, uh, you know, you don't want to spend $20 on an OTSD. You know, now there's two, they're two or $4, wherever you, you try to find them. But uh, they were 20 bucks back in the day, and that wasn't a trivial amount of money. So you get a starter deck two for 10 bucks if you want to do like a sealed event or something. It would come with those cards. Everyone would have to seed the memory wipe. And then you could mix all your cards together. And then you had, this was one card that made uh, a pretty generic starter deck somewhat useful. So, eh, um, you have to give some props to it for that. Plus you could also play it on your ship or any ship to make all the guys on it non-aligned. So... Um, there's something to be said for that. And it was used somewhat cheesily for a while. That's why Intruder Alert allows you to uh, nullify all memory wipes. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's, that was done for different reasons. I think it was so uh, so your infiltrators. Um, you could just, if you see the memory wipe and make all your opponents or all your opponents guys mix, then infiltrating was a breeze. So, and I think you still can do that. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, so... So get rid of that memory wipe with that intruder alert, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. So anyway, uh, so that was the starter deck two. And then a bonus top five list for you all. Let's do the Dominion, because that's what I was going to do, but then I found out that I had more to do. So um, honorable mentions, Cisco 197 subroutine, the headquarters, all the headquarters that came out, the 10 and 1, and Anya and Celia, all for fairly obvious reasons, so we won't go into them too far. Uh, number five is in the bag. There's an interesting card. Convert your equipment card into a shapeshifter. Now, you do this at interrupt speed. You can do it during an opponent's turn. And if you do it right, you can get guys into play past play three, draw three. But it's a little challenging, and you got to get kind of lucky, and you need a ton of draws to support it. But it's doable, and that's all I care about. That's what makes that card very versatile and very useful. Number four, Fair Play. 
Uh, well, it kind of goes without saying. You Mission stealing was an integral part of the game for so long, and all the way up until this set. Because you could, you know, at this point, seeds were becoming more scarce, especially for Dilemmas, right? You're starting to seed more cards for Headquarters, for the Nor, for whatever, and you're playing with less Dilemmas. So, at that point, and Dilemmas used to be kind of, you know, the seed phase was half the game, right? And it's still, you know, it's still a huge chunk of the game, but it was even more important in the original game as it was designed. And you might, you know, seed a couple of Dilemmas under your own missions to deter your opponent from trying to attempt your mission. So you just kind of had to think about that. And now Fair Play comes out, the game changed completely. You seed it, and if your opponent tries to, I think, solve your mission, they can they could still attempt it, uh, I think. I haven't read the card in a long time. Um, but they would attempt it, they get through the Dilemmas, and then boom! It costs, it was a less than 40-point mission, it's not universal, well, you're effed. And thanks for getting rid of those dilemmas for me. I really appreciate it. So, uh, just a card that changed the game for better or for worse. And that's just what it is. So, number three, Crisis. Here's an interesting planet dilemma. Did you leave anyone on the ship? No? Well, you're effed for a turn. You need to leave an, uh, some guy upstairs with, I think, officer and you know, leadership downstairs. I always get those two mixed up, and I sometimes it costs me a turn, too. Anyway... So, uh, and then it, it, uh, it, you, you need a, there's a Borg alternate out of it too. So uh, it's, it's an effective card. I think it's still effective today. It was an interesting card to say, hey, sometimes you got to leave a guy on the ship. So here you go. Number two, Chula Chandra, obviously, such a versatile dilemma. It's so good. It's been, it's in home front. It's got uh, major stopping power and it's dual. It, you know, it's just that good, and you we see it all the time still. It's such a versatile, amazing card. So um, I don't think I really need to talk more about it. Number one, and unfortunately, number one, is Friendly Fire, obviously. Ever since it's been paired with Personal Duty, but even before that, such a good card. Because it locks your mission out. Even the Borg get locked out of a mission for two turns if you don't have the two security and two leadership. And uh, killing a guy is just icing on the cake. So, uh, and it's Empok Noor, right? Now, I forgot to mention Empok Noor. Um, I don't know if it would have made the top five, but there's an interesting a Noor anyone can have. You can fire on it with uh, for Rule 34. Such an interesting card. So, um, you know, a Friendly Fire is so good that you would almost always use it. And just in case your opponent is playing Empok Noor, well, now you have a decision to make. So... Such an interesting card with so many variables and so many things you can do with it. So that's why it tops number one for the Dominion. All right, let's move on to... Well, I've got a couple new segments. This is going to be a long episode. (laughs) Um, So we'll just use the Forum Matters music, even though this isn't. call this segment random matters random matters not forum matters because there's some random matters we got to take care of today i saw on reddit eric robinette a fellow trek player um, who owns a gaming store in florida i think it's in florida uh he uh had posted an image of himself or someone did on uh imgur and it ended up on Reddit of him opening some magic boxes, uh, Born of the Gods, with a uh, with Link's sword from all the Legend of Zelda games. 
I think it's the Master Sword. And uh, it looks like he's on a throne, and he's just opening these up, and it's uh, just a pretty awesome shout out, uh, sh uh, picture. So a shout-out to him, and a congratulations on that. What else is going on? Um, Patrick Stewart was on the Late Show with David Letterman last night, and it was kind of funny. Uh, I don't often watch David Letterman, but hey, it's Patrick Stewart, so I had to. Uh, some funny things that happened. Uh, you know, he is doing uh, Waiting for Godot right now with Sir Ian McKellen on Broadway, so I think that's why he came on the show. And uh, he discussed how in 1964, uh, Paul McCartney came to see him do some sort of acting gig and let him drive his Aston Martin, um, which is really cool. So anyway, uh, the uh, the clip of him on The Late Show is on StarTrek.com, I believe, so you should go check it out. All right, enough of random matters. Now it's time to go on to the real thing that really matters, the forum matters. Oh, well, there's a couple of interesting things going on the forums right now. Someone had an interesting idea. Uh, IndieGuy1183 said that he thinks we should have box top covers for the anthology boxes. Now, here's an interesting idea, right? Uh, we already have the OTSD covers. Why not cover the anthologies, too? I see a couple challenges with this, one being that we'd need to print out something, um, probably something longer than an 11 by 17 piece of paper, which is already kind of pushing the paper boundaries of uh, my uh, local printing shop. But if someone can pull it off, and it, I don't think this, the continuing committee has to do this, uh, everyone's concerned that art would have to spend time and cycles on this versus doing cards, uh, printing, you know, making cards, you know, like people really want. Um, but art doesn't have to do this. Uh, why bother, right? Why doesn't someone else do this on the forums? We've got creative people. We're all smart. We're intelligent. I'm sure we've got some interesting artists out there. Hell, I know of a couple people who made playmats back in the day. Uh, one of them could take this on. And yeah, it would be cool to take an old second edition or a second anthology box and just print something on it. This would be cool. So I think someone should take that on. There's a discussion out there also um, of how to get the Defiant out early in first edition. There's a way to do it in three turns using Dr. Noah... Noah's Mountain Retreat, and Construct Starship. Boy, what a pain in the ass. Now, I know I've said on the forum, on this program before that you can just ops download it. I was completely wrong about that. I don't even know where that came from. Obviously, you have to have a matching NOR to do that. So, you could commandeer MPOC NOR with a Fed on turn one, and then on turn two, you could download the Defiant. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. That's not obviously not reliable. I like Rogue Schindler. He had an interesting solution to this where he downloads the Defiant into the Mirror Quadrant, but it is dependent upon getting a ready room door in your hand. Um, now, along these lines, whenever something like this comes up, I need to get X card out early. I always come back to Q's 10. used to be back in the day that you would seed a holodeck door on a Husnock ship, suck the ship up, use the holodeck door to download Vic Fontaine, and self-seed a stopping dilemma under a mission, assuming that you could outseed your opponent. And then, boom, you get your card. And that you could do on turn one. But um, that's really not the case anymore. And unless you and your opponent 
seed the same mission and you can seed the first dilemma under there that gets encountered. Well, I just don't see a reliable way to do this. So here's some options. You know, those are the options you have available to you. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the developers, the playtesters, I think we all need to kick it up a notch and not fall into these traps, unless, of course, this was what was intended. And I just can't imagine that was what was intended. So anyway, um, enough of that. Uh, let's move on to more matters. We had random matters. We had forum matters. Now we have podcasting matters. Ah, gosh, so much matters today. Oh, my goodness. All right, podcasting matters. Discard pile number three is up. And uh, that, I did not check to see who was on that episode. I haven't listened to it yet. But rest assured, it is going strong. My favorite podcast right now from the Trek guys is fantastic. Go listen to it. Hopefully you're not easily offended. Um, All right. Also, the Make It So unofficial podcast being put out is, uh, has episode four out. And I haven't listened to that yet. But they have, uh, I believe, discussed the... uh, reactor core challenge if you will I am working on getting an audio podcast of that going um, and put on iTunes hopefully that will be done this weekend alright wow that was a lot of stuff today um, two more matters before we go no more matters right but uh, two more segments before we end the show uh, let's do this let's move on to the random tip of the day I think this will be a fun segment to start doing from now on where I present just some kind of tip that is useful to know. Maybe it's something you haven't thought about for first edition, second edition, or triples, but nonetheless, here it is, and either you know it or you don't, so that's it. Today's random tip of the day is that if you are playing a relativity deck in second edition, uh, if you go and uh, search the affiliation page for relativity right now the number three most popular dilemma for relativity is well-prepared defenses i did not realize this but obviously uh, the relativity mission has 35 points on it plus the four other non-headquarters missions you are probably going to be playing with equals probably a lot more points than your opponent will have therefore what's the right dilemma to be playing with well-prepared defenses i like that dilemma a lot more than some of the other you know point-oriented dilemmas because you get to stop a guy of your choice. And usually, that's enough to end the mission attempt. Especially early in the game. When your guys, your opponent just puts six guys out and maybe just barely has the skills. Now, if you are really good at skill tracking, well-prepared defense is all that much better. Because you'll know. Is that the only dilemma I have to throw? Well, maybe. Or maybe not. You'll, you'll figure it out. Or you can, maybe if you can't, you know, track at- skills, track attributes. And then realize... Oh, well, they only have 32 and they need 31. Stop a guy, boom, that's it. So that's your random tip of the day. Let's move on to a very brief philosophy statement. Don't you like how we reuse our music around here? Well, okay, anyway, the music here. uh, Music's terrible. Uh, I have to fix it. Anyway, uh, I thought we would talk about trading. Uh, That's a topic I haven't talked about much on this podcast Uh, and I don't really have a like a comparison thing I want to do today I just want to talk about trading in general oh wow this podcast going very long so let's keep it short here trading right uh 
when I started first edition, trading was, you know, essential for getting certain cards. There was absolutely no way I, I could even find, I didn't even know of, I think eBay, you know, eBay was around, right? There was no way I could afford certain cards. And I, I didn't have that great of a collection, but often trading is a way for you to find cards that certain players undervalue, and you might have cards that they overvalue. And, you know, let's make a deal, right? And it just you know, it works out. You get the cards you need. And some people, you know, they, they could afford to buy a case of the board, and you just couldn't. And you really needed a Nietzscheab, but all you had was, uh, you know, two uh, Kesses. And, well, they didn't pull a Kess, a whole Kess in the entire case, uh, or something like that, which is highly unlikely. But, and, you know, and you just make a deal, and that's what you need to do. So... Uh, trading is central, right? Especially when the game, in the old days, when you would buy $100, $120 boxes of CCG product, you know, usually 70 or 80 and you just didn't pull what you needed. So, you know, trading was essential. And trading, uh, you, you also think about for uncommons, right? Uncommons is you usually pull, you get a set in every box, but sometimes you need four or five copies of an uncommon and you just need to trade for it. And that was the only thing you could do, so... Trading is essential to CCGs, and that's the whole point, right? You know, customizable card game is what they used to be called, and it's what Magic called. But now the term is trading card game, and it's it encompasses the idea very well in terms of you need to get certain cards. You don't have them, and you have to trade for them because you're not... You know, you're not spending five or six hundred dollars every set that comes out to buy all these cards, unless you are, in which case, wow, amazing. You know, you might pull a set, sell that, and justify some of the cost of buying all those cards. But yeah, so trading is just you know essential. Um, when tr- when I think about trading, I think about drafting as well. Um, also, you know, when I started second edition, uh, players were very generous with me, and I really do appreciate the play group that I have here. They would, you know. They give, they give me cards sometimes for, you know, trying to build a deck, and they're just like, just take this. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah, of course, you know, here you go, you know. And it was just amazing. Um, and that makes sense more now that the game is, you know, a little old and the cards are less valuable. But, um, again, trading, you trade your cards, and sometimes you get another player to the group. And that's a nice thing, right? So along the same lines as drafting, right, you know, um, when you play sealed, right, sometimes you need to trade. I mean, most sealed formats you don't get to trade. But sometimes, uh, and I've always pondered, I've often pondered with sealed play, what's a good way to do trading, right? Could you just say open trading after you pull all your cards and, you know, everyone suddenly gets optimal decks or much better decks? Um, the problem with that is kind of the social engineering of it. People are... And I don't want to make harsh generalizations about card gamers here, but we in general are not social butterflies. We are people who are rules-oriented, detail-oriented, but not people-oriented. And so people who are good with people would have a slight advantage, in my opinion, um, if you just allowed open trading like that. So... Drafting is one way to get around that, obviously. You know, open the pack, pick one, and move along. And that's fair. Everyone has a fair shot at cards. And then the weird randomness of 
afterwards going up to someone saying, hey, I've got blah, do you have blah? And that kind of gives away your deck and that sort of thing too. And uh, so having rules-oriented drafting like that is important for a format like that. And if you do open trading, uh, it's useful to probably specify a one-for-one rule, one, you know, one rare for one rare, one uncommon for one uncommon, that sort of thing. Um, but if someone's ever thought of a format like that, that would be kind of an interesting topic to discuss at some point. So anyway, enough of philosophy for today. It's been a long show. It's been a long arrive home. And I'm just happy to have you listening. So if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can give me a call at 267-CALL-CPJ. Leave a voicemail. It's longer than three minutes. Feel free to leave me additional voicemails. I will compile them and put them on the show for you. If you like, you can PM me at CorbinQ27 on the message boards or email me at CorbinJohnson at me, me.com. You can also email me any sort of audio segment or any sort of filler you'd like to hear on the show. All righty. Well... I'm going to go play some Trek tomorrow night with uh, Jason, and we're going to see what's wrong with First Edition. (laughs) And until next time, this is Corbin Johnson signing off saying so long and thanks for all the Trek.